Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Office Hours. This is the Grease Edition with BlaineBartlett.com. Blaine Bartlett, my mentor, and the lineage of Blaine Bartlett at Bogert Brian. That's BrianBogert.com. He does that just to mess with me. Uh, but we got a <laughs> champion coming on with Donnie Boyvin. Uh, and you guys, he's going to fit right into this show. He's the founder and creator of Success Champion Networking, DonnieBoyvin.com. Uh, Boyvine, I think. Bovine. Bovine. No, I got I to make sure if I butcher a name, I correct it sooner or later. Um, and it's, it's interesting because podcasting has so many different meanings to so many different people. And you're looking at someone that started a podcast about almost five years ago, Gary Vee encouraging me to do so. And I told him right out, number one, uh, there's too many podcasts already. And two, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself. And at the time, I had a nationally syndicated sports radio show with Gal Media. It wasn't as if I didn't understand how the medium uh, works. It was just I didn't have a clue the extraordinary business development tool uh, that podcasting was. And I'm anyone that I see out of there in understanding successful champion networking. I think you have a great handle on it, Donnie. What was the epiphany for you of the importance of podcasting? And the kind of uh, the subtle uh, successes and subtle opportunities uh, that are exponential in nature that come from podcasting. Yeah, for sure. As, as long as people don't care about how many downloads, everybody's so concerned about how many downloads <laughs> and how many people listen to my damn show. It doesn't matter. You know, podcasting in its source and its nature is about meeting other cool people and yeah. networking and having some great conversations. It's like hanging out with you guys right now. You know, some of you guys I've never even heard of before. I mean, no offense by that. But now I want to go check out your backgrounds. I want to go check out your freaking stories because I want to get to know you more. And podcasting just allowed me to get into conversations I wouldn't otherwise you know, be able to get into some of the biggest names in the world and those type of things. And when you can sit across from people and go toe to toe, and I mean that in a respectful manner, have an adult conversation, you know, maybe sometimes challenge thought processes. It just gets you into arenas you're never going to get into otherwise. And but most people are like, oh, my God, a podcast is going to save my business. It's going to be that silver bullet type thing. And realize it's just a tool in the overall arsenal that's going to get you into some killer, amazing conversations. Um, and I'll tell you, that's what taught me business. Now, you know, I'm interested, Donna, here, because this is really, I think, a really interesting story. Podcasting wasn't the central focal point of uh, Success Champion Network. I mean, you no. discovered po podcasting you know, kind of after you crashed and burned. For sure. Yeah. So even though it's not the end-all, be-all, how have you used your podcasting platform to resurrect? I mean, I mean, literally resurrect success champions. Uh, you know, it's funny is up to finding podcasting. I had no clue how to build a business. I didn't, I mean, I spent 20 years as an employee, so I had no idea what it meant to think like a CEO, be a CEO, do those type of things. But as I was getting bigger and bigger with my podcast and I was interviewing bigger guests and the likes, I couldn't have a crap show of a process dealing with these people. So during that process, I had to learn how to do operations. I had to learn to do processes and scheduling and I had to learn to manage people because there were just so many moving parts. And what I found in doing all that, I was applying those same principles and the things I was doing about creating a good show with doing those same things with my business. And I tell everybody, your podcasting saved my business because it taught me the ins and outs of what it takes to actually run, lead people, mentor, nurture, get in the right conversations. 
And that's what gave me the leverage and the platform. By the time we launched Success Champion Networking, we already had a following of champions that were looking for ways to connect with other people and network. So it just gave me the foundation and, and the tools that I needed to actually build that successful business. Right. I love that, Donnie. You know, I will tell you that I also am a huge fan of podcasting as well as what it can do for not just growing and scaling a business, but relationships, adding value sure. and creating impact in people's lives in a really exponential evergreen way. You know, I, I completely devalued the, the whole entire platform until COVID hit. And then the <laughs> virtual world forced me into it. And in the last two years, I've now been on over 400 people's uh, 400 other people's podcasts, as well as have run a bunch of shows myself. What I'm really curious about is it seems like there's a scattered intent out there for what people see podcasts creating opportunities for. There's people who run their own. There's people who want to leverage other people's platforms. There's others that want to go and pitch. I'm curious for you, have you seen a, a cadence or a rhythm of using your own show and other people's platforms to really effectively have that relationship and networking work yeah. in its category? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, two things I think people need to quit stop doing is nobody wants to hear your Zoom conversation. Most people, when they launch a con you know a podcast, is they're like, oh, "I'm just going to interview people." And then they do no editing, no anything. They just put the show. Nobody wants to listen to your Zoom conversation. So I think most people should start a podcast on things they absolutely geek out on. Like I know guys that run huge wealth management firms that have Star Wars podcasts. <laughs> Why? Because it gets them into conversations with people who geek out on Star Wars. And it costs a lot of money to collect some of that Star Wars crap, right? So, so they're getting into some really cool conversations. And I think for a lot of people – you need to go into it with the intent of what you want to accomplish. And if you're doing it from the intent to do like sales, you're going to struggle bus for a long time because it's really more about connecting with other people and sharing like-minded values uh, on different things. And I think most people, you need to have a purpose. And then, and you know, just like you guys are doing here, you got to produce a show nowadays, right? And put a concept behind it. Let people know podcasting like YouTube is a how-to platform. People go to a podcast, you know, device or whatever, Google Podcast, iTunes, Apple, whatever you want to call it nowadays, and they and they put in the words, how do I X, whatever X is, or what's the meaning of, and then they find content that, that just like they would on YouTube to listen to. I mean, I put out a book, you know, last year, and I went to podcast and typed in, how do you market a book on podcast? And there was a ton of crap that came back. And so it's just a valuable research. It's a masterful you know, uh, search engine, if you will, for people to find content. So it's all about the intent of the end game, but use it more to connect on with people that geek out on whatever you geek out on. And to that point as well, um, it's interesting because the hardest part that people uh, understand is their own frequency um, yeah. in, in two directions, right? One, they look at the following, the subscribers, the downloads, uh, and they don't look at engagement or interest. Um, but two, on the other side, you know, I love how people say, even guys like you, right? You come on here and go, like, to be honest, I didn't know everybody on this show. And I love, you know, people come up to me and say, man, I'm really sorry. I really didn't know who you were. Well, there's 7.6 billion people. <laughs> right. Like, you know, and I, I geek out on the other side because, you know, uh, you, you, we're at, what, a half, on my, on my podcast, like a half a million downloads a, a month, which puts it in the top 1%. Yep. But when I was at like 50,000, like I geek out saying, if somebody would have told me five years ago that every, you know, we have 10 podcasts a week, every single day 
a whole stadium, like Yankee Stadium, is is listening to me. Or like I would have completely freaked out. And then <laughs> nowadays, like I'll get a video with a hundred thousand people, and my guys are like, "Dude, this video sucks." I'm like, "How does this suck? This is me, <laughs> right? This is me. This is my idea." And, and how do we get people to understand the size, the scope, and the scale? Because they're so caught up in trying to compete with the dancing bears on TikTok that have 10 million followers that don't really give a shit about anything that they're saying. They just like the way their boobs look or their hair looks or their eyes look. Oh, and I love you just cussed, David. That, that's freaking <laughs> awesome. Dude. Thank you for that. I was trying to hold back as much as no, possible. That's go. not my yeah, damn bad style. Bring the inner Texas out, Donnie. There you go. Yeah, yeah, cool. Jack, Jack Canfield told me intelligent people swear. So I, he gave me yeah, liberty. Oh, Jack's a good dude, so I like that. So you know, here's the thing, man. There's going to be people that geek out on your fucking message, and there's going to be people that don't vibe or jive with you whatsoever. Right. And I'll tell you, if, if you're not pissing somebody off, you're not going big and loud enough with your message. Like if somebody doesn't come up at some point and say, dude, you're a freaking idiot, then nobody but your mom is hearing your message anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. right? <laughs> so I, and for me is the more you can show up now that I can cuss, you're really going to hear me unleash. But yeah. the more that you can show up as you the more you would attract your tribe and your people that geek out and are in the same thing you can do and you can drive your own energy. And if you're not a high energy person, that low keel, you know, type personality will bring your people to it. It's not about massive volumes. Um, I forget who put out the book about, you know, your thousand true fans thing, right? Yeah. But you can have a small number of people that are just completely into your shit and build a multi-million dollar business. Yep. You know, it's it's more about speaking directly to mm-hmm. your people. We call them our champions, right? The, the people that just champion your vision, your story, what you do. And the more you speak directly to those people, the more your world will continue to grow and expand. And you're going to find yourself in situations that you never knew you're going to be in. Like I got invited to do keynotes that I'd never to events I'd never even fucking heard of. Because of podcasting, I'm like, oh, well, that's a thing. All right, I'll go speak at that, you know. Um, and and it's it's just those things that when when you can find your voice on whatever you want to talk about, whatever you geek out on, you know, your world just opens up a hell of a lot better. And it doesn't matter on volume, you know. But we live in a world where you know one stupid TikTok dance can get four billion freaking views, and everybody's like, if I could only get that, yeah. If you only get that, you don't realize that ninety percent of that feed is people saying, "God, you're an idiot. Why would you dance that way?" Right? right? It is filled with freaking <laughs> haters more than it's filled with people who are like, "Oh my God, I love you." Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, I, the quality of the message is really important with this. I mean, yeah, I, I was I was writing an article the other day that uh, is going up on LinkedIn later. Uh, this week, but uh, the idea of going someplace you've never been before—you got to start from the premise that you got to be—you've got to be a nobody to get to someplace you've never been before. Because sure. if you take your history with you, you're going to be the same person, and it's not going to be the—it's not you want. You got to be a nobody to get where you want to go, and Absolutely. that is a. But it also opens up all kinds of creativity. I mean, it's just a fascinating paradox. Yeah, and I and I think most people just because we live in this Instagram world where they only see the good shit about people, right? You know, everybody's putting out all the good stuff that people always think that their life needs to be sunshine and rainbows. I can promise you I've picked up more of a following, more of a fan base, more people every time I share my fuck ups and screw ups. 
right? Yep. You know, when I share things like, God, I just made the dumbest business decision. We did the dumbest thing. You know, I take complete responsibility. You know, those type of things, people are like, God, I so relate to that because I just did that the other day. And then they start talking to you and you're having real conversations. And when you can get that, that and it's not even being vulnerable. It's just sharing your story. You know, yeah. when you can share that kind of stuff, man, more people raise their hand and say, hey, dude, I want to hang out. So, Donnie, it, it is being vulnerable only because the world often tells us that we aren't supposed to talk about what we feel and what we experience and to show those faces, right? It's We've been conditioned to show the highlight reel. What I love is there's no coincidences. Dave was talking about frequency. All of a sudden, you decide that you can cuss. You're dropping F-bombs left and right, which, by the way, is part of my normal language. So I fucking love it. Um, and then all of a sudden, you opened up, right? You talk about how being you and operating at yep. your frequency and connecting with individuals and how those relations relationships permeate. But what you also just hit on is something really, really powerful. I've said so often, we're on a mission to impact a billion lives by reducing the level of suffering on this planet, right? Suffering exists in four areas, I believe. It's the things that are left unsaid, the things that, are that we lack permission to feel or say, the things we lack the words to articulate, or the things that are left undone. When you're curating conversations and you put yourself in a position to be vulnerable the way that you just did, what you're doing is you're helping people with those center too. You're giving them words and feelings and permission to feel something because your failure allows them, they can actually lean into it but you've also given them words to articulate what they're doing. So it's not just a medium to connect and build relationships, but it's a medium to actually propel people into action and allow them to resonate and connect with other people's lessons and stories. So you talked about big stories. And I also know that you've got this big focus right now to change how the world networks. Yep. I'm guessing that's largely due to how we can interact better, how we can build relationships, add value and create impact. But what I'm really curious about is where and how do you see podcasting being the medium that can actually effectively help you perpetuate that mission? You know, so it's twofold. So like, like you said, you know, you've been on 400, you know, podcasts. Um, I've probably been very close to that number of number of times I've been interviewed, but like this week alone, I've done 24 podcast interviews, like six or seven lives. I mean, I'm just doing the tour right now because I have a new book out, Fuck to Focus, that you can find on Amazon. Look, I'll even do a shameless plug. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking, um, uh, it's bestseller right now in three countries. We're just having a blast with it. But, but you know, at the end of the day, podcasting is is one tool, right? It's going to be the thing that allows you to get your voice out there, to tell your story. But when you get a chance to get on shows like this and introduce yourself to a whole new audience that may have never heard your name, never heard your brand, and you can show up as, like you guys said, I'm being more myself now that I can cuss and everything, right? So I open up a hell of a lot more. There's going to be certain people who are like, fuck yeah, that's my guy, Right. And, and those people are going to come, you know, find me on LinkedIn or whatever else or the other platforms and connect and we'll start conversations. Podcasting does the same thing because it gets you a chance to get out and talk in different arenas. The one thing that I would challenge people to do is don't only get on shows where it allows you to talk about the one thing. Like, don't always go on just business shows. Like I was interviewed on a freaking farming show the other day. It was fucking great. I have a small farm that I'm on. And it was the first time I got to go talk about my dwarf Nigerian goats and the turkeys and everything that we have on the farm. And it just showed the world a whole different side of me. Yeah. We picked up like six clients from that interview alone because there were some country dudes that were like, dude, that's my guy. He actually speaks my freaking language. I'm like, yeah, I understand country a little bit. You know, and so it's, it's, it's about being able to put yourself out there in a way that allows more people to discover you. And from a networking working standpoint, I'll always go back. It's going to get you into conversations you wouldn't otherwise yeah. get into. And that's the key to conversation. 
That's no right. Doubt. No doubt. Meet people where they're at. Let them feel connected to and through. There'll all be 10% of the people that love you no matter what. 10% that hate you no matter what. It's what you do with the other 80%. And Donnie's doing all the right things. Founder and creator of Success Champion Networking. Reach out to him if you want to learn how to network utilizing podcasting and other forms of content as well. He's a master at it. And check out his book on Amazon. Let's keep it up there as a bestseller in multiple countries. Donnie Bovine. Dot com. Yeah. Got it right. Johnny yeah. Bovine, thanks so much for joining. Kate, come on more of our shows, man. Let's uh, do some more stuff together. Would yeah, love to. Hey, like, we'll get, you on the, get you on the Solar Business Podcast, and uh, we'll get you on a couple of others, too. Have your people get my people. We'll have that conversation. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Right. Thank you, thanks, my man. guy. This is my guy, Donnie. That's a, that's a man. All right. We're going to bring up, talking about experiences, John Riddle. This guy's a master. Yeah. He's president and CEO of Howard's. If you're from Southern California, like yeah. I am. Uh, you have to know Howard's and you can see his appliances behind him. I don't know any one of my friends in real estate or that own their own residential home that hasn't utilized Howard's uh, for their exceptional uh, service. Uh, but John's been able to survive not only through the online uh, transformation, but also COVID itself. And uh, he's on his way to be the number one major appliance retailer uh, for customer service in America, let alone Southern California. John, welcome to Office Hours. I was hoping you could kind of explain your experience-centered model uh, that has allowed you to have the longevity for more than 75 years uh, committed to customer service. Yeah, good morning, David, uh, and good morning, gentlemen. Good to be on board and uh, enjoyed uh, Donnie and uh, the conversation before as well. I, you don't uh, have to swear. We're okay if you don't swear, but you're allowed to. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll keep it a little cleaner on my side, probably. I figured. Uh, yeah, no pun know, intended. No pun it. intended with that washer behind you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly, exactly right. Yeah, I, um, you know, so I grew up in the industry outside of Philadelphia. I uh, grew up in a small family appliance business, uh, and spent you know my high school and college years working uh, when I wasn't in school and. I, I spent my entire life then after college with large corporations. So I spent you know, 30 years with LG and Maytag Corporation and a number of others. And so I came back to California and joined Howard's in 2018. And one of the things that hit home with me, having been through the industry, was that there was such an inferior process for consumers uh, David, to be able to buy consumer durables, large ticket items for the home. Uh, the great companies of the world, in my opinion, I think are companies that make things frictionless, uh, easy, simple, uh, and not a hassle. And so what we set out with a, a company that's been around for 76 years, as you mentioned, a long time with roots in Los Angeles County, um, we set out to try to improve that greatly in that process that had become, particularly with home improvement and a lot of folks in the industry, too complex, too manipulative to the consumer. And so the experience center is our concept of that. We will have almost 20 experience centers up and running in Southern California by the end of the year. And the differential, the disruptive sort of process for this is we have everything in this showroom live. Uh, and so you can come in and do laundry, you, if you want, can cook on a new Fisher Paykel or Thermador kitchen. Uh, you can use any core products uh, that's throughout showrooms that this one in Long Beach is 22,000 square feet of just products that are connected and live and be able to experience how you can use a mobile device 
uh, to talk to your appliances and make them connect and do things for you that are really cool that when I was on the manufacturing side, we were developing all this new great stuff, David, but we couldn't get anywhere at retail in America to be able to really showcase how it worked. Uh, and so that's what we've been doing. We've been increasing our uh, share per footprint. Um, and it is one that applies to, in a great way, sort of to, you know, the Julia Roberts movie with Richard Gere. You don't have to have a lot of money to come into a Howard's and experience this. So it's not just for luxury. It's not just for the high end. Uh, it's for all consumers. We do a lot of luxury business, uh, a lot of celebrities. We just opened a West LA Hollywood store. Uh, and so we certainly are able to care for that but we want everyone to feel comfortable within this great diverse market of Southern California. So that's what we've been doing, David. You know, it's, it's, it strikes me, uh, John, that what you move, it, it sounds like a migration in my mind here, uh, a migration from selling an appliance to actually curating an experience. Yeah, no question about it. And, and I would tell you that we spent, uh, better part of a year with a cross-functional team here in a mid-sized company. We are not a large corporation, uh, but we spent almost a year and a half of studying Tesla. Uh, my, yeah. I think Elon Musk, the fourth, per, fourth person to run Tesla, but nothing about the automotive product itself, which is cool in a different level, but how they engaged consumers uh, mm -hmm. and how they listened to the consumer and tried to do things for the consumer you know, versus, you know, taking their own sort of game. I use it in a comparison that I'm a car and truck guy. Uh, my first purchase of a car, a used car that I, you know, could afford to scrape together all the money I had when I was 16, turned out to be such a crappy process, an inferior process, because the, the guy at the dealership was trying to sell me on what I didn't really want. Uh, and today that is so prevalent today, I think, with consumer products in America, yeah. where you come into the store and instead of seeing what you see behind me that you did research on and you got recommendations from friends or neighbors, the person tries to move you away from the color you wanted or the type of product or the brand and so forth. So all of that is what we call rare uh, to your to your question. It stands for revolutionizing the appliance retail experience and all of our folks are focused on one thing, their only incentive is high customer reviews. So we've gone from reviews in 2018 that were in the low threes uh, to last year we finished at 477 in Facebook, Yelp, Google, uh, et cetera. So it has just been a, a smashing hit for us. And we think it's a concept that will play very well anywhere in the US, certainly outside of California. You know, customer experience and customer journeys are something that are truly so important, yet often so neglected, right? And you guys are clearly not only doing that in a really kind of trend, a, a revolutionary way in creating the experience centers, but you're also demonstrating leadership by actually being able to guide people down their path and, and experience these products in a, in a way that they can understand how they apply them in their lives. You know, what's interesting about the appliance marketplace is it's it's a tangible product, Right. It's a tangible product that used to have a sales process that was very focused on people, understanding features, function, how to use it. And with the rise of technology, with the separation of people, right, it's almost become commoditized and intangible in some ways because you can see a listing online. You can look at some certain things that are there. And so you guys are bringing that tangible nature back 
to the tangible product, giving people the ability to actually touch, feel, experience what's happening. I'm really curious as you're growing these centers, how are you seeing that impact of the tangible experience that you're putting in there ripple across the multiple different generations of buyers in how they actually are going about evaluating products for their lives? Yeah, I think a little bit to the you know rear of the location where I'm at in Long Beach um, is an area called uh, our, it's sponsored by Samsung, but it's called the Experience Center Hub. Uh, so when you come into a location, the consumer can connect with his or her uh, laptop or, or uh, tablet or mobile device and go anywhere in our location in the Experience Center and be able to see how the features work. So what we're seeing in a business sort of, uh, you guys were talking about this with Donnie, how you sort of quantify metrics a little bit in business versus the sort of soft side. But from a metric standpoint, we're seeing higher per square foot um, sales ratios on revenue. We're seeing an average mix of product that's higher than our peers in home improvement and Best Buy. And we're seeing people experimenting with stuff by having a QR code that they can log into and sort of recall what they were shopping for and what their experience was like. And when the next time they come in or they go to another store, they can talk about it. Give you just a great idea. Uh, we see people really, to your question, coming up with smart connected appliances, AI generated, that have cameras in the refrigerator. So if you're at your local Whole Foods or your local grocery store of some kind, you yeah. can turn your mobile device on, David, and see if you forgot, see what you have in the refrigerator, and what mm -hmm. your inventory is. When you get home, you can use the barcode scanner to scan the stuff in before you put it in, and it'll give you a readout of not just what you have in inventory, but what you might do to put together some really cool recipes with meals and how to have some healthy foods that you can cook with what you have in the house. So just very, very different kind of products. And think about this to your question about how consumers are seeing it. I grew up seeing people use appliances for 10, 15, 20 years. We know with the pandemic and putting multi-generational folks nesting together, we know that the average life expectancy has gone from 10 to we estimate seven in the industry. So you're going to have these products for a, still a fairly long period of time. And if you make a mistake, shoot, I mean, you, you really are in trouble. We do a whole display on showing the depth of a refrigerator in the average home versus your cabinets, because the number one thing that our competitors have return rates on is people buy a refrigerator and it's sticking out in the middle of their kitchen, yeah. you know, and it's just a mess. And so those kind of things are really affecting the consumer in our experience centers. Well, I want those cameras to figure out which one of my kids are eating my midday squares. So. <laughs> <laughs> they all exactly. somehow some, someone's eating them, and some, none of my kids are taking them, and I know Julie's not. So um, yeah, that'll, that'll pinpoint it for you, David. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah. And I don't even need a new fridge, but I'm ready to buy one. Uh, to to that point, though, I think you bring up a really great point about features and benefits. And uh, automobile industry, appliance industry, and furniture industry, I find, uh, have historically had salespeople that are oversellers, back-end yes. sellers, even a little bit of liars, manipulators, and cheaters uh, that are taking advantage of, you know, people don't want to go through that process. It's a big purchase. And if they've invested the time these feature and benefits of overselling uh, have turned to a higher, a higher level of close. 
in the experiential model, uh, the products speak for themselves. Um, and how have you trained or re-engineered the sales force to utilize the features and benefits as an arsenal aligned with what the customer values instead of the old school you know, furniture, appliance, uh, car salesman? Oh, I got this beautiful silver one over here with the rust underneath the protection. You know, I, that wasn't even in my book. And you walk out completely dissatisfied for the rest of your life instead of bragging about Howard's like people are today. Yeah, David, I think it's just a, a great spot on question. I uh, I had the benefit out of college to get recruited by Maytag Corporation. I spent 22 years there. And one so of the things remember that, the actual you remember Maytag man. man. John, yeah, John, you, you remember the actual Maytag man. Three of us, I think, may remember it. I mean, it's tough for millennials and younger Gen Xers uh, <laughs> to remember Gordon Jump, uh, who lived here in Southern California, was the WKRP in Cincinnati. And yeah. Uh, Jesse White, our original uh, old lonely. It was the longest running. So Leo Burnett ad that Maytag did. It was the longest running uh, commercial and publication at one time. And I, if you think about Maytag, Maytag sort of, if I checked into a hotel, they knew, they kidded you about being lonely. And part of that was not just the product quality, but to your question, David, the people. And part of how Maytag really did that. They did campus interviewing and took young people like me out of school and built me from the bottom up. Stuff that corporations don't do too much anymore from a standpoint of investing in education. Jack Welsh one time at GE said during tough times, Neutron Jack, um, you know, what are you going to do with the company from a cut standpoint to get back to the where the profitability range that the board's asking you to be. He said, the only thing I will not cut is Crotonville and our education program. So we started at Howard's. And by the way, we're, we think the oldest employee owned company in America. We started as an employee company, employee owned company in 1976 uh, here in Los Angeles County. And so as a company that is employee owned, we wanted to start fresh with getting out gradually of the situation, David, that you referred to that most consumer durables and automotive dealerships are in. So we started running intern groups every quarter, eight to 10 people. We would go to local campuses like here at Long Beach State and other local campuses in our area. We would recruit people that were either still in college and they wanted to work or right out of college. And we started a 60 to 90 day training program of doing everything, including riding along on home deliveries and installations. Because part of the job with consumer durables is not just what you face behind me in the location of the store or online, but really what happens with the guys that are kind enough to bring this stuff out, very heavy product, try to care for your home during the pandemic to be safety and high in protocol uh, and so forth. And so we really wanted to get people right off the tree, David, uh, and train them and educate them. And we've been doing that every quarter since the summer of 19. So that has really given us that capability. And we've lost some people that were great professional sales staff that had been here a long time at Howard's, but we, it just wasn't their cup of tea. Trying to just get to a customer being satisfied and happy and a good process, they wanted to be able to do more sort of you know freelancing of how they approach things. And there's places still obviously for them in the marketplace, but it wasn't at Howard's. Yeah, I love it. And that's why you've had such great success. And 
Uh, John, I look forward to meeting you in person since you're in our neighborhood and doing such a great job aligned with value-based leadership uh, and understanding how important the experiential model is in providing value to exceed what you're asking for. Uh, Compassionate Capitalism, Blaine is pointing behind a book that him and I had uh, written, uh, probably great utilized within your company as well. Uh, and we have the same type of internship program uh, where we build those values. And people ask me now, years later, how do you have such an incredible team? And I know Blaine gets to work with some of my team. And he's even been uh, amazed from the start when we wrote that book that I truly build that model like you do, John. And it takes time, uh, but the benefits are incredible. And uh, please, if you want a good company to work with, one that's going to have a great service uh, and great value, uh, and always be honest and living in integrity as a compassionate capitalist himself, president and CEO of Howard's, howards.com, the place to get your appliances. It's that simple. Thanks so much for joining Love us. Love the program, David and guys. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. And you made it without swearing. So it shows you guys that grew up in the 50s, they can, they can, they're yeah, good. Uh, yeah, right. I'm going to go to my office and close the door and do that all day now. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, no promises for our third guest here. And oh my gosh, if I could pronounce her name, it'll be amazing. Urvashi You did great. But thank you so much, Urvashi, uh, for joining us. She's the author of an incredible book, The Sustainability Scorecard. Um, and I know, uh, Blaine, one of the things we remember that I think uh, with uh, who, who was it with Deepak and those guys uh, with Ronaldo? The, the index. What was the index that we were working? Oh, with? it's the uh, uh, just just capital. Just oh, capital. right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The just index was my first exposure uh, to a sustainability uh, scorecard. As the UN started to quantify uh, seventeen different areas that we should all focus in on, and uh, your yeah. book is so important uh, today in so many aspects because impact uh, is important. And that book behind. Go ahead, point at it one more time, Blaine. Compassionate capitalists have. Uh, a lot to consider to implement and profit from uh, the unexpected solutions that exist today uh, that are uh, sustainable products, processes that are good for our planet. What got you so heavily involved in the sustainability of capitalism? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so David, I actually, I'm a healthcare person at heart. I started my career out in health, public health. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Um, and so when I started my career in India, it was apparent to me that social and environmental health could not be uncoupled from patient well-being. Yeah. And, and uh, their one-time visits with their doctor were not probably their key drivers to well-being. And so that was something that was very apparent to me then. Um, now, of course, I work in health analytics. Um, I've written this book. Um, and those are exactly the messages that I want to take forward, which is, the economics could never uh, be uncoupled from social good, from human health, from, uh, you know, from environmental good. Uh, ultimately, all of our inputs into our economies do come from our environment. So this could never be uncoupled. We shouldn't pretend like it can be. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we do need to make our economy run. And so what we say is that the next or what, how Paul and I, my co-author and I think about this is um, the next wave of 
high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals are going to be the people or the entrepreneurs that either create path breaking technology that can help mitigate those climate change related shocks, um, or they're going to be the people that invest in them. And so what should you be looking out for? What are some of the opportunities that you can leverage uh, scientifically to create those products? And once they're created, how can you pilot and scale them? Um, and then, uh, you know, what are what should you be investing in as an investor if you're looking at the next 50 to 100 years of the economy? Uh, that's kind of what we get into in the book. That is awesome. And do you have a question for us or would you like one from Blaine? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to, I'd love your thoughts on, um, I'd love your thoughts on our scorecard and how the triple bottom line can be more effectively uh, integrated into corporate strategy. Because we're seeing now that finally ESG audits are taking place. um, And that first step towards compliance has been made. Um, but the next thing, the real change is going to be, occur when we go beyond compliance. So if you had to advise C-level executives how to do that, what would be your advice? I'm going to start and then we'll go around the horn because I have a real quick answer. Um, you know, at its surface, you know, all the requirements, regulations and compliance issues are always just that. If yes. somebody wants to get around them, wants to get the boxes checked, we historically, by studying history of corporate evolution, know that we can get through and beyond any compliance issues uh, because we understand how that works. Where I like to start is the math. And I think we've been doing this long enough that if we can show uh, today's C-level executives the profitability of doing these things, that overwhelmingly the numbers don't lie, So I'd make it real simple. I can articulate the quantitative value to exceed what we're asking for when it comes to sustainability. And I have the math to prove it today. Yep. Yeah. uh, You know, I'm on the the board of directors. I sit on the board of directors of the World Business Academy. And the the academy was the uh, catalyst for the just capital movement. You know, we, Mm -hmm. David mentioned uh, Deepak. Yeah, we brought this... uh, concept yeah yeah into light and and then moved it from there so the idea of the triple bottom line i'd actually expand it to a quadruple bottom line oh and and the uh you know people profit purpose and place so you you, you bring these four in and then there's metrics that you can actually develop and there are actually not you don't need to develop they're already developed and this is part of just capital actually uh begins to to measure um, but to the point of, you know, that David was making, the CEO needs to know that there's a return on that investment, whatever that investment is in these, in these four P's. And that can be quantified. You know, a good friend of mine, Raj Sisodia, uh, was the co-author of uh, Conscious Capitalism. And Raj wrote a book that I, it's got the best title I've ever heard, of Endearment. I love this title. I love the book too. But what he's done is he's quantified firms that actually love, use love, uh, not from a romantic sense, but from everything is connected. Everything is connected. How do these firms actually operate? And they work from a quadruple bottom line uh, scenario. And the data shows irrefutably that they are significantly, oftentimes exponentially more effective at producing an, you know, an ROI 
that cannot be ignored than traditional firms that are paying attention to traditional GATT metrics. And before I give you your minute, B, uh, I just want to note that that title is not as good as the title of my next book, Don't Do Business with Dicks. <laughs> uh, we've been pushing back on that title for a long time. <laughs> All right, Ryan, go ahead. Well, so here's the thing. I, there's not a whole lot more to add because the, the data and the profits and everything are definitely going to be what gets the attention. But I think that data goes beyond just the metrics within the business, because if we truly want to build and scale, sustainability really impacts the overall community. We can't actually have the ability to grow in healthcare. We can't grow our businesses from a profitable standpoint if we've got bleed or we're letting the bottom fall out. And someone who has a healthcare background, social determinants of health, Phoenix alone, a 10-mile difference is a 20-year difference in life expectancy. Yeah. And that has a significant impact in workforce, in culture, in community. And so beyond just the direct correlation for sustainability within their direct business, understanding where sustainability is a community and what the collective impact of that can actually look like in their business or how that will permeate and actually hold their business back are also factors that we need to take into place in the communication because it's as much the profit and the upside as it is making sure we don't let the bottom fall out. Yep. You nailed it. Well, thank you so much, Ravashi. Keep the great work up. We're going to save this earth. The entrepreneurs, I always tell everyone, are absolutely the ones that are going to save this earth and save all of us along with it. Uh, the earth will probably survive. It's saving us on this earth. That is really our core focus. Let's be honest. But uh, come back and join us. Check out the sustainability scorecard. You can make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. I promise you. You just got to be more interested than interesting. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Take care. You got it. All right, my brethren, I got a couple of minutes before I got to jump on IG here in Greece. Blaine, what's your takeaway for the day? Connection, 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 connection. Uh, whether it's uh, through podcasting, uh, whether it's through customer service you know, in a commoditized business that makes all the difference in the world or a triple bottom line. It's all about connection. And that fundamentally goes back to the, just the nature of relationship. Everything is a relationship. The quality of my relationships determines the, you know, the quality of my experience of living. So I want to be paying attention to those qualitative differences. You nailed it. And you, B, I'm well connected with both of you. Yeah, connection. I, that, that's a beautiful place. Reality of it is, for me, I think it's really about understanding that people operate with leadership giving them experience and understanding through whatever they're going to be going through. So whether it's podcasting and creating the connections, whether it's understanding products and creating the ability to touch it, or whether it's educating through data and understanding the importance of all of these things, at the end of the day, understanding and experience are what are going to move people through a way to embody and embed the lessons. That's awesome. And mine is uh, play chess, not checkers. I think so many people, <laughs> they play checkers with their business and all three of our entrepreneurs uh, Donnie and of course uh, uh, John and uh, Ravashi, they're, they're playing chess. They're going deeper in the game. They're looking at six moves down uh, instead of their next move. Everybody here, these are my mentors and mentees along with me, the great double Bs, Blaine Bartlett and Brian Bogart. It's BlaineBartlett.com and BrianBogart.com or at Bogart Brian just to screw you up. But I say that to raise the attention I don't know where our Unstoppable Foundation logo went, but you guys know Matt. He's still learning how to be consistent and persistent in the pursuit of his potential. So we'll let him slide one more time. Oh, no. We already have, yeah, we gave him permission on that. We couldn't, we couldn't fit the logo in with four, four boxes. Ah, 
Yeah. All right. So technical fact. We, if Matt starts playing chess, he'll figure that out for us. So we don't get stuck <laughs> again. All right. Very good. And uh, if he keeps wearing those Dodger hats, he'll continue to get my ridicule. Thank you, brothers, so much for joining me. I will see you very soon. Thank you, brother. All right. I got two minutes left before office uh, hours here is done. I have IG Live next. David at dmelter.com. Join me. I have a recession. Take advantage of the recession group. Uh, it's piling up with people. Learn the markets, the market makers, and the margins available to you by taking advantage of the recession. More millionaires are made during a recession. Email me, david at dmelter.com. Of course, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We're blessed and we'll see you tomorrow.